Is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it? Count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's healthcare coverage that works the way you want it to. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to save GM and Chrysler. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. To this big, bold country that we love, that's what I see. That's the America I know. Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. And I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country. Here he is, America, Verge Bernero. And welcome to The Verge Show. I am Verge Bernero, and it's true my dad did come from Italy. Just talked to him this morning. Uh, he'll be 95 this May, believe it or not. Proud uh, GM, UAW retiree, one-time produce man. I guess that makes me the son of a produce man. I've been called worse. Uh, for a short time, February, uh, for a short month, February 2020 has been chocked full of drama and political intrigue. Before we jump into the latest Trumpian machinations, the coronavirus phobia and Democratic presidential primary angst, let us pause for a moment to extend our thoughts and prayers to the victims of the latest horrific gun violence that plagues America, this time at a beer plant in Milwaukee. Six people, including the gunman, are dead after an apparently disgruntled employee came back to wreak, to wreak havoc. What does it say about the times in which we live that even the term thoughts and prayers has become a politically controversial term? I thought about that last night and this morning um, as I did pray for the victims and their families. And um, thoughts and prayers has a double meaning, even as I, as I utter them. On the one hand, it's an entirely sincere sentiment for my fellow Americans, whom I do not know, but certainly care about, especially in what must be the worst possible moment for victims and family members. For most of us, we can barely imagine the terror and the anguish they face, and the memories that survivors must now live with forever. God help them. I believe citizens the world over can empathize and do indeed send their best thoughts and prayers to survivors and family members. For many of us, we can barely imagine the terror. Uh, the politically, but, but the politically charged side of the term comes from the fact that most Americans are damn sick and tired of having to think and pray about bloody gun massacres that seem to be pandemic. The inspiration for the violence is sickeningly familiar. The reasons are as different as they are the same. The shooter was deranged. The shooter was angry. He had a violent past. Or he showed no outwardly signs of violence. He posted some bullshit manifesto online. Or he didn't. He just suddenly exploded. But the bottom line is the same. The shooter was angry, and he had easy access to a gun and plenty of ammo. And now people are dead. And now we are anguished, and we send our thoughts and prayers. 
He caught his victims off guard and slaughtered them. The script has been repeating itself for decades in America now. That's why the thoughts and prayers, no matter how sincerely we mean them, have come to sound a little hollow. That's why moms demand action. That's why we all should be demanding action. But our political system is paralyzed, seized up. The NRA has a lot to do with that, the politics of our time. Even non-controversial things like infrastructure and roads don't get done, much less tackling the difficult but vital issue of gun violence. Kids go to school worried Parents trying to afford not just a regular school supply and backpacks, but now bulletproof backpacks are all the rage. Young people are asking their parents for a bulletproof. What kind of a parent would send their kid to school without a bulletproof backpack? In fact, gun violence has hardly been discussed, despite the fact that it's being discussed at the kitchen table and in communities all across the country, it's hardly been discussed during the presidential debates. Uh, which leads me to my next topic for virtual reality. Democrats are getting mighty anxious. And some feel that the process is messy and potentially politically costly. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of grumbling that this process is getting messy, that it's taking too long, that it could help Trump. In fact, uh, President Trump has weighed in, recently uh, tweeted about uh, the alleged, uh, the quote-unquote chaos of the Democratic debate, calling the debate chaotic and crazy. And Trump, you know, is not alone. Of course, you know, I mean, he's got no business really commenting on it, but everything's his business, you know that. Uh, Yeah, Trump says crazy, chaotic, Democratic debate, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, And like I say, even some Democrats are worried about that, the appearance of chaos. I wanted to just weigh in with a little virtual reality. I wanted to just weigh in and make it clear This is what democracy looks like. I just wanted to remind my friends, Democrat, Republican, Independent, all the hand ringers out there. Maybe I'm talking especially to my Democratic friends. This is what democracy looks like. Stay calm. Don't worry. Don't panic. Look at dictatorships and authoritarianism is a lot more efficient. Democracy is at odds with efficiency. Okay, that's that's a compromise that we make in a democratic system. There's going to be some chaos. There's going to be some, uh, some uh, disagreement. There's going to be some craziness. Participatory democracy is anything but efficient. And yes, it can look chaotic and bumbling, just like it did during portions of the debates. And that's a tough format anyway. You got everybody raising their hand. Uh, I see Cullen uh, Swartz has joined us. Um, we're joined by Cullen Swartz who is uh, co-founder of Done Good, the Amazon of ethical shopping. I like to call it the Amazon of ethical shopping. I can see you, Cullen. Can you, uh, are you allowed to speak now? Can you join me in this? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, you can. Yes, welcome. Cullen is also a recovering uh, politico of Michigan and Washington. Uh, He was a press secretary to U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow and former agriculture secretary Vilsack. Uh, and who knows? He might have had something to do with a former uh, uh, campaign here in Michigan or two as well. But he is co-founder of Done Good. You're, you caught me mid-ramp, Colin, and so I'm not done. But feel I, I f- usually do. <laughs> <laughs> but feel free to chime in. Isn't it funny how Trump 
conveniently, he, he talks about the craziness. I don't know if you saw the tweet where he, he talked about the Democratic yeah. debate being crazy and chaotic. And I'm yeah. making the point that that that's what democracy looks like. And hey, to my Democratic friends, don't panic. Don't worry. This will all flesh out and we're going to be better because of it, because we will have had a great, healthy debate with a lot of views being exposed and discussed. That's what democracy is. And we as Democrats, but but again, small D and big D Democrats and Republicans should all agree on that. But it's funny that Trump conveniently forgets that he was the leader of the clown show called the Republican primary process a few years ago that led us to Donald Trump, for God's sakes. And then and then his entire administration, you want to talk about chaotic. I mean, for uh, President Trump to call anything or anyone, you know, chaotic is like Verge Bernero calling somebody else, uh, you know, loud and opinionated. uh, 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 But yes, he's ridiculous. Yes, he is his. I mean, the revolving door of his administration, he has got to be he's fond of always making superlatives and making comparisons that he's got the greatest this and that in the world. But I do believe he probably has the greatest turnover. At this stage of his presidency, oh. he has to have the greatest turnover in history of any presidential office. Uh, so speaking of chaos, yes, no, very, no very question. Good. And not only I mean, turnover for for what reasons, too? I mean, now I mean, just purging people who uh, speak the truth if it doesn't agree with his version of reality. Well, like yes, um, he has absolutely you know, replacing, replacing uh, you know, national intelligence last week and Bill McRaven's op ed, you know, for a retired general to come out like that and say, do you see what's happening? I mean, this is. The, the head of national intelligence is being fired for telling us the intelligence because well, Trump doesn't like the yes. intelligence. I mean, the, yeah. the gaslighting of America, the, it's the, unbelievable. the Orwellian you know, replacement of the truth, that, that's a big part of the turnover now. It I mean, is it's pos- yes, people, it's a purge. You know, now it's a purge. It is exactly. a purge to, to, to install loyalists. Uh, John Harwood uh, tweeted, President Trump responds to coronavirus with acting White House chief of staff, acting intel director, acting Homeland Security. He's got all these acting people because he, he, he wants them to be nervous. He wants them on the hot seat, on the on like a cat on a hot tin roof that they can be ousted at any given time. Well, he, a lot he, of times then he doesn't have to get Senate confirmation. Yes, like, why that bother too. with that? I'll that just install too. my loyalist. We don't have to talk about it in the right. Senate because if we do, we have to talk about how underqualified these people are for these positions. Well, you're absolutely right. It's a twofer because, again, he thinks he is an autocrat. He thinks he, he is an authoritarian and he, he resents having to go before Congress. The whole reason that that was set up, advice and consent, was the idea that we don't have kings. We don't have monarchs here in this country and we do have advice and consent that even the Senate has a role to play, that the president himself cannot just simply, even with the executive branch, even in running the executive branch. Our founders built in the concept of Senate involvement, legislative involvement. Uh, but John Harwood says in his tweet, he has launched a loyalty purge. He wants to cut CDC and NIH budgets, eliminated NSC posts to safeguard, uh, etc. So now we find ourselves with this uh, coronavirus uh, situation. He holds a news conference. I want you to watch with me. Uh, we've we've teed up this uh, this clip from Trump at this news conference, what was meant to be what was supposed to be an official government news conference on the it was billed as a briefing on the coronavirus. And of course, like everything Trump touches, turns into political hoo-ha. Get a load of Trump at this news conference last night. You mentioned the stock market earlier to go back to that. To be clear, the Dow Jones dropped more than 2,000 points this week. Are you suggesting that that was overblown? Are financial markets overreacting here? I think the financial markets are very upset when they look at the Democrat candidate standing on that stage making fools out of themselves. And they say, if we ever have a president like this, 
And there's always a possibility. It's an election. You know, who knows what happens, right? I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win by a lot. But when they look at the statements made by the people stand behind, standing behind those podiums, I think that has a huge effect, yeah. had to do with the coronavirus? No, I think it did. I think it did. But I think you can add quite a bit of sell-off to what they're seeing, because they're seeing the potential. Uh, you know, again, I think we're going to win. I feel very confident of it. Uh, we've done everything and much more than I said we were going to do. You look at what we've done. What we've done is incredible with the tax cuts and regulation cuts and rebuilding our military, taking care of our vets and getting them choice and accountability. All of the things we've done, protecting our Second Amendment, I mean, they view that, the Second Amendment, they, they're going to destroy the Second Amendment. When people look at that, they say, this is not good. So you add that in. I really believe that's a factor. But, no, this is what we're talking about is is the virus. That's what we're talking about. That's not what you're talking about. That's specifically not what you're talking about. You're talking about shit that nobody asked about. Exactly. Yeah, no, the uh, yeah, the markets, uh, the, 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 the markets aren't doing good because Democrats are running for president. Which the guy, I mean, look, and Colin, you, look, you've been in Washington. You know, you you left. You were in, in politics here in Michigan. You went and play, and, and we're at politics at a high level in Washington D.C. I know you followed it like me, even as a youngster. I mean, if any president, Democrat or Republican, had held a news conference, scheduled a news conference, uh, bothered the, the the national media and everything else to say, "I want to address an important health emergency, health situation." And then starts talking about the Democrats are doing this and the stock because the Democrats, because the Democrats are out making fools of themselves to talk about the other party. Nobody asked about it there. You, the, ostensibly, you're there to talk about about the coronavirus. What does this have to do with the price of tea? That's not true. Yeah. He was asked about it. He was asked, do you think the markets are crashing because of the coronavirus? He wasn't asked well, about the right. Democratic. Yeah, sure. I'm saying he wasn't asked all, about all the Democratic saying, debate. All he's adding to the conversation is that people are also afraid of the Bernie Sanders yeah, I know what he's adding. $47 trillion yes, idea. Yes, I know what he's adding. That would affect the markets. The point is. Not as do, much as the coronavirus. So, so no, and he's saying that. Yes, yeah, so let me be clear. He wasn't asked about it, what I'm saying. He was not asked about how the Democrats. He was asked how do you about think, why the markets have responded. Right, to the coronavirus. Okay, so yes, yes, he brought in, he made it a partisan Democratic point and then starts talking about we've done very well. He starts campaigning. Nobody asked how you did. Well, yeah, that's the thing, too. I mean, there was a couple of things about that news conference. One, you know, the first thing that struck me, I said, oh, my God, the presidential briefing room. We haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. You know why? Because they don't do they don't do press briefings anymore. This right. is the thing. This this president, this administration, there's so many things, you know, where do you that, begin? That, right. That like any one of the any one of them, if another president, if another administration did it, would be one of the hugest things. We barely, I barely remembered. I had forgotten, and I'm a former press secretary. That's what I was doing in Washington. I I had forgotten that they stopped doing press briefings. Uh, no, he is, just he just does, incredible. He, he just That's does chopper talk. Seen the inside of that room yeah. in months. It's what Colbert know? calls chopper talk. He he likes chopper talk, where he goes out yeah. and, and and takes the questions that he can apparently hear. The ones he doesn't right. like, he can't hear. He takes the questions he can hear that he wants to hear, and then he looks like he's in command out there with the chopper. Here, well, they just don't have a press secretary talking to the press every day. And he, they right, talk, well, of know, course, and he doesn't they, like this room. Talk. He doesn't like the idea that he's equal, that, that where it puts them almost equal, where they can shoot out questions. He likes the chopper talk. Well, 
Well, you know, but, they don't like having to take questions from the, an array of he likes uh, Twitter of the media is what he likes. every day. That's yeah. right. One way communication, Twitter. Right. So, yeah. yes. So, and then, and then two, though, I did. Yeah. The self-congratulatory nature. Well, we only have 15 cases in a few days. It'll probably be to zero. Will it? Your CDC director saying something different. Uh, and then he says, yeah, we've done a great job. Well, already. I mean, the crisis is just beginning. I, I would. Well, would there's something there's about. something else here. So he says the real thing that people are afraid of. I mean, imagine any president saying this. The real thing that the stock market is afraid of, it's not the coronavirus, it's the Democrats. He, he turns it into a partisan thing. That alone is is inane, you know, ridiculous, outrageous. But let me explain why it's completely idiotic. And I want anybody to argue with me about this. The the stock market results, they were, this news conference was held t- uh, uh, Tuesday night. Is that right? Tuesday night. Uh, the stock oh, market. I'm sorry, what was held Tuesday night? The news conference. No, that was just yesterday morning. That was just yesterday, yeah. It was, the news conference was he in. He was the, in India. But. He was in India until yesterday morning. So that had to have been held at like six o'clock last night. Well, the point is that, that I'm making is that the, the sell-off, the stock market, when those statements were made, the stock market had happened the two days before. Oh, right? yeah. Monday and that and day. Tuesday. They even sold off 300 right. yesterday. Oh, yeah. Look, I don't think anyone can argue. The, these candidates have been running for but, president for, for but, months. But he was talking about I, how they, they were. There's been, the only the, difference, the, Cullen, the is that the only difference is that Bernie Sanders has won every primary so far. So that's the difference. I, I'm not disagreeing with you that it's stupid to blame all the Democrats, okay? But Bernie Sanders specifically, and I know moderate Democrats that are scared to death of what he wants to do with Medicare and what he's trying to do, you know, even with these zero to four year old kids, that he's spending money in the trillions and that the markets will respond. That's just a common occurrence that if they foresee something happening, it's not the whole it's just a small part of it. That's all they're well, saying. Well, that's a guess. We'll see what Patrick Anderson says about well, that. Yeah. When Wall Street, out. look, I'm sure Bernie is not Wall Street's preferred candidate. I think that's why a lot of people like him because for a change, instead of worrying about where where the stock market is, where the Dow is day to day and and considering that to be the economy, we'll focus on things like wages and healthcare costs and other things that then, you know, I mean, for 40 freaking years, we've been this just under all of us, even Democrats under the spell of the supply side economics that say, well, we got to pay attention to Wall Street. We got to give tax cuts to the rich instead of finally saying, you know what, we've had wage stagnation. We need to have a powerful middle class again, like we had in the middle of the 20th century when we had our longest period of economic expansion, when people have the power to buy things, businesses are healthy, and then the market will start doing well yeah, again. Yeah, old... in the short term, a lot of guys on Wall Street ain't going to like it. Maybe there is a little sell-off because of Bernie. But that's, I mean, yeah, I'd be yeah. I'd be a little scared well, if I was you're... on Wall Street of Bernie, too. Yeah, you're That's right. why people yeah. like him. We can finally start doing some, you know, focusing as a, on as a great... the middle class again and building an economy from uh, the ground up instead of the top down. Yeah, absolutely, from the grassroots. As the, uh, instead of trickle down, that it might get to us yep. one day. Uh, we're tired yep. of being trickled on. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the idea that that we all do better, as a great Democrat once said, we all do better when we all do better. Everybody does better when everybody does better. And again, that is what the, of course, what the, what great made us the greatest economy in the world, the greatest middle class in the world, uh, was that people had decent jobs. And of course, the unions helped build that. Uh, the decent, the uh, a decent wage, you know, a five day work week, et cetera. Um, and uh, yeah. So, but the timing of it. Uh, I thought was particularly ridiculous when he's talking about the the sell-off had happened 
and the debate was really after that, after the crash. So the idea that the debate, you know, that the the Democrats parading themselves at the debate somehow led to the sell-off, I didn't really see the cause and effect. But I do understand what you're saying, Kevin, about that and and Cullen, that uh, ultimately, as Bernie wins these primaries, as he's doing better, uh, Wall Street and everybody is faced with the fact that, uh, yeah, Bernie's a real contender. Bernie could end up with the Democratic nomination. Uh, that's, but that's, that's the problem. This is the problem with being so focused on the Dow as the be all end all for the damn economy. One, it leaves out the middle class in it. We're not talking about wages and things like that that are a huge part of growing our economy in a, in a sustained and healthy way like we did in the middle of the 20th century. But also Trump, you can tell in even in this news conference when he was a little bit, I think, more a little bit more responsible, maybe. Uh, but all week, all he's cared about, he doesn't care about telling the truth about the coronavirus you know, or he, it's all just been like, nah, it's not a big deal. Talking it down, talking it down, because all he cares about is is the short term, you know, gains or falls in the market right, right. instead He's of like, having a more responsible uh, message to the public about what the actual risk is. I think the beauty of it is, is that we haven't had to save General Motors in the last four years. We haven't had to save any companies, really, as a government. And I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Which yes. we did have to do at the end of the Bush administration after eight years of Republicans. Yeah, and it was and and Bush was as much a Republican as Mitt Romney is, and I'm just saying that Trump is at least I, I can only speak from personal experience. My finding a job in 2008 and 2009 was a heck of a lot harder than it is today. No kidding, because that was a, we were in the middle of a recession. That's trickle so down. If you want to call now it trickle been, down, now we've been in one of the longer down. periods of economic growth that started uh, shortly after eleven years ago. I know I've heard the arguments, and that's fine. I don't care who gets the credit. I just want to be able to get a job. Bottom line is, he hasn't gotten in the way then of Obama's plan. the The truth is, Trump hasn't been bad for the economy, and that is a good thing for most of us. Not all of us. There's always going to be people who slip through the cracks, always. But at least at a 3 to 5% unemployment level, most of us have no excuse to not have some money in our pocket. But then you got to look under the hood of that, you can, uh, of that unemployment uh, number and say, how many people are working two jobs? How many people are working at, you know, no, I don't have to. I just want to know that people can work. Okay, well, that's good. That's well, that, yeah, that works for you. Well, we, we, now we need to focus on good paying jobs but right and the, people the, being able to afford health care and all these things the, we talk about these trillions no question, spending, the, the, we're spending trillions the on gig, now, the gig economy any other developed nation what's that the gig economy is not great for everybody it's true that you can find a job the question is right. you know is it a decent job can you can you support a family and he's cutting everything but the government uh, the can't time. make that happen i don't believe i don't believe the government is in place to tell people the what government, to pay me that's a that's a, okay. a market. Well, that's thing. a debate we're going to well, have. Wait, that's what this believe, election you know, is there about. Be no yeah. minimum wage, no minimum wage whatsoever. Oh no, I mean, I'm not saying that. You know, no, I'm not. But I also believe that the minimum wage was created for high school and college kids, not for people in their fifties. And that's well, what yeah, it's you would, become. You would hope. You would really hope. It has become for see, people in the their fifties. I get it. Many too many people who are not high school kids so, who are making minimum wage or below what ought to be a, a understood. I, I, you're not so. going to get an argument for me. I get that. But again, it's not the government's job to find me a job that pays me what I think is a living wage because I'm no, never going to make enough. I'm not, never. Not, if not you the, make it 15 bucks an hour, I want 21. 
Okay, I, I get that, but yeah, but well, the there's always but there's something where there's reasonable. We haven't we haven't raised the minimum wage since 2009. I mean, the minimum wage is a joke at this point. If we would have held pace with inflation uh, since the 60s, I think we'd be above 15. And I I understand, you know, and, and and just so you and know, so Verge, there, uh, Colin and I used to talk all the time when he worked for Debbie because I worked at WJR and I would call him to have her on the air. So I'm very familiar with Colin and his. Good reputation, just so you know I that. Appreciate, I Excellent. appreciate that. I don't so, know. I'm so, not sure how good it is. But. So, uh, Colin, what do you make of the constellation of candidates now? Where do you think we're headed? Are we headed toward a uh, contested uh, convention? Are we headed toward a brokered, quote-unquote, convention? Is is uh, is anybody going to go in there with the necessary votes? Are we going to then go to the superdelegates on the second ballot. What are the impacts of that potentially? Man, I mean, you know, this is always anybody's guess. I, I would say, you know, every primary, everybody always talks about a broker convention and we never have. We haven't had one, you know, in my lifetime. Um, and so usually, maybe up until a few weeks ago, um, you know, I just said, ah, everybody always says broker convention and there never is one in the modern era. So, uh, you know, let's not worry about that. Uh, now, I don't know. This could be a particularly, I mean, maybe this is the but, unique, okay, so uh, the unique let's, time. Let's I mean, define especially terms. Because Biden looks like he's going to come back and win South Carolina here. So now Biden doesn't get out of the race. I mean, you know, but Bloomberg is now, he's invested so heavily in these Super Tuesday states, he's going to take some amount of delegates, uh, you know, decent so amount. Let's, let's, and you got other candidates winning delegates. So it's it's um, it's tough to say, you know, it's it, it, it really depends whether candidates get out of the race and open up, uh, you know, maybe one moderate, one progressive kind right. of a race. Uh, so, but not, look, no one's yeah. getting out. Let, 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 I mean, we don't know, but look, Buttigieg is not getting out, right? Or will he? Will he get out? After after Super Tuesday, you know, Klobuchar seems committed through Super Tuesday. Buttigieg, I'm sure, yeah, look, he's he's like in second place with delegates. How are you going to tell him to drop I mean, out? even though they can't stand each other, they occupy the same space. They well, sit there on the look, debate stage. They sit there I on mean, the debate stage beating each other up, Buttigieg and, and Klobuchar. I mean, they're just pu- clubbing each other. And basically... I, I see why, I guess, because they occupy the same space. And the problem is then Biden, oper- he operates in the same kind of a little bit of that space. And then Warren, she has a little bit of the space. And then Bernie is Bernie. And then Bloomberg, you know, so uh, th- there's too many. I mean, in a sense, I've said that Bernie, from an electoral standpoint, Bernie is the Democratic Trump. Now, I don't say that he's the Democratic Trump in any other sense. He's, he's obviously much more of a gentleman, you know, much more decent in every regard. But he's the Democratic Trump in the sense of electorally, he's going to chug along as the little engine who could while everybody else chops up their pieces. And then he ends up with a plurality. You get to the convention and he says, I've got a, not a majority, not enough to claim outright victory. But he gets to the convention and says, I've got the plurality and you bastards better not take it from me again like you did last time. Agreed. And then what yeah. happens? I, I think, well, that's the thing, right? So if there is no majority on first ballot, then the superdelegates come back. We've gotten rid of the superdelegates, right, after the last time. But they're there. Uh, but they're they like ghosts on a, hovering. Huh? They're like ghosts hovering around. Yeah, exactly. Zombies. They come yeah. back to life. And, you know, most of them, I think, would probably not be inclined to support Bernie. Uh, so I think it matters, you know, if it's, I think it would be really tough for them, though. Yeah, you know, without tearing the party apart, without all the Bernie people being so pissed, they we risk some of them staying home, like last time, where we, and and we could, I mean, could they cost would, us the election. They would be and even Bernie's, more outraged this time, right? They're going to say this is oh, here. Yeah, this we time were, would be even worse. Yeah, this time. So say it's Bernie, you know, forty-five percent, and you know, second place is twenty-five percent. 
I think you have super delegates have a really tough time not not giving it to Bernie. And the, and you, the fact that you would only need a minority of super delegates to feel that way, you know, I think Bernie gets it. And the now, thing the problem's going to be is if it's 33 to 31. You know, and they say, well, sure, Bernie had a little bit more, but uh, hell, it's a rounding error and it's basically a tie and nobody got even close to a majority. And in fact, we think that, you know, more candidates, more of the other candidate supporters, there's more moderate. So if you add those up, it's actually more people want a moderate. I mean, then there starts to be arguments. Now, do you think, let me ask you this. Do you think Bernie, now I want you to think about this before you don't give me a reflexive, would Bernie consider in a situation like that where it was very close and uh, you get to the second ballot and deals are made, whatever. Would Bernie consider being somebody's VP? Is there any scenario where he could be VP or does he just not really fit? Is that like putting a square peg in a round hole? Yeah, I don't know the man. I mean, it seems to me he doesn't seem like the type of guy to me who would uh, who would go for that, especially because it's not like he's, you know, Buttigieg. He's got a whole life ahead of him, right? Like Bernie, you know, this is it. This is probably, you know, this is his last this is his last campaign one way or the other. Well, so, definitely. This is this would be his last hurrah. You get to be right. VP. Look, you get to be VP. Here's the consolation prize. You did for, for getting the most votes for anybody. Look, I don't know. Versus big you deal. Tell me big you deal. Got you the got the most votes. Big deal. You got the. Well. You didn't. You didn't. Did you read the directions? You 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 didn't win. You didn't. Neither did you, anyone you didn't else. Win. Okay. Neither yeah. did anybody else. Right. And we're and so you, you know, get you get VP. I mean, this is one of the, one of the things that bothers me about today. Here's the problem with today. Nobody reads anything. Nobody knows anything. And then they just demand what they demand. Well, Mofo, can you say that? Yes. Mofo, I mean, did you read anything? I mean, did you do you know anything about the process? Okay, this is the process. You didn't get the required number of votes, and so now it's a brokered convention. Okay? I mean, Biatch, you can't say that either. Well, but that but, that message applies to everyone, and there still is a good case to be made. Like, hey, shouldn't we give it to the person who got the most votes? I mean, ba- yeah, this. that's one argument. But back in the day, we had smoke-filled rooms. I mean, Two these things. primaries are a relatively new just, thing. Just so you know, uh, you have the Philadelphia Mayor Nutters coming on in a couple of weeks, and he's on the Rules Commission for the convention. And guess what? He's a Bloomberg guy. Just Tell me this isn't going to get interesting. I mean, Bloomberg's got a couple of supporters on the Rules Commission. So what do you think they're looking at? Uh, how can they possibly approach this well, I mean, without for, looking out for their own candidate? Well, for, for one thing, I mean, look, they're going to be fair. I know Mike Nutter. He's a very decent guy. And uh, they're, they're, they're going to have to be completely fair and transparent because the smoke-filled room days are over. However, part of transparency and leadership is educating people. And people right. are ignorant of the rules. Agreed. I'm not saying, Kevin, it's not that they're going to change the rules. It's the fact that they've got to educate. That, though. They've got to educate people about the rules. Most people have no clue. Most people, I bet you half the people, correct me if I'm wrong, If you what you think, Colin, I think probably half the people out there paying any attention th- think that if you get the plurality, you win. The, I, I wonder how many yeah. people know the difference between plurality and majority. Yeah. How, how many people are going to say it's not Hillary this time stealing the election? It's Bloomberg. And do you think Bloomberg cares that he's stealing an election? Do you really think he cares? Because he thinks that the country, just like all Democrats do, that Trump is so scary by any means necessary, we need to take control of this situation. Well, Trump does need to be meet, beaten, by, but not by any means necessary. We do not believe that. We believe by any ethical and legal means. That's the difference between I us and Trump. I love that you say that. I That's don't know that every politician lives and, and, by that and, and, standard. And, and let me just say this about, about Bloomberg. And uh, 
you know, I knew him as a mayor, uh, and he took time for mayors, even of cities like Lansing. And the guy has been in the trenches. I mean, this this is a guy, yes, he's spending a lot of money on the election, and our system allows for it. And I think there's too much money in the in the uh, political process. I would love to see it scaled back. But the fact is, the rules being what they are, he's in a position to fight it. And, and all I can say is he's fought it for the right reasons. He's fought it for a lot of the right reasons. A lot of the things that we Democrats believe in, like the guns that I talked about, you know, the rational gun control. Uh, gun regulation that we desperately need in this country, uh, like global warming, he's been a leader on those issues. And he spent his money, and he could be on a beach somewhere. He doesn't have to be here. So look, the American people have a choice. Democrats have a choice. We don't have to accept Michael Bloomberg and his money. But the fact is, he's here with his money, spending his money on the causes that we we supposedly ascribe to. So I I don't hold that against him. I, I actually think it's admirable. At a broker convention, here two great articles that I think uh, everybody listening should read today. In in the in the failing New York Times, they've been failing <laughs> for three years. They're doing better than ever. But the, so the uh, one is on the is from the editorial board about instant runoff voting. Five states now in their primaries are using instant runoff voting. If we adopted this, this whole broker convention and people winning pluralities. Uh, w- w- would help uh, be alleviated because an instant and other countries are using this now. Okay, yeah, uh, I know they instant did this. voting. You get to vote for your top choice, but then you can vote for your second or third, and you know a candidate, whatever candidate's in last place, then those voters their second choices apply until someone has a majority. So it helps to build more of a consensus candidate. It helps to make sure that you know if there's a bunch of moderates and one progressive, and more people would like a moderate that the progressive doesn't win, or vice versa. You know, if there's a bunch of progressives, more people want progressives. And it helps um, It helps make sure everyone's vote is counted. It helps make sure that, you know, you don't feel like, well, I'd like to vote for this person, but I'd really be throwing my vote away because I, I don't know yeah, if they'll get they elected. Did this. They did this. Instant voting is something that we ought to look at. It would help solve this problem of, you know, people with small pluralities and broker conventions and non-consensus candidates and a lot of torn apart, you know, bad feelings after a, after a primary. The other is a piece by Thomas Friedman who said, Bernie should... Uh, assuming Bernie is the the leader who has the plurality, or Bloomberg if he does, or Biden if he does, should then Bernie should say, okay, I mean, you could take these pieces and, and maybe change them around, but Bloomberg is going to be my Treasury Secretary, Buttigieg my Homeland Security Secretary. He said Klobuchar VP. I'd say I don't know which, you know, but uh, if it's progressive, you make the moderate, and if you're the moderate, you make the progressive. But you know, yes. just announce that every one of these candidates is going to be in the administration. Yes, by this the is way, a complete I... unity ticket. Uh, and in fact, put a Republican uh, in charge of, you know, Department of Defense and maybe uh, some, you know, something else. And uh, uh, Cory Booker at Homeland Security, Kamala Harris, AG, you know, and just yes. have a true By the way, ticket. That's interesting. It's yes, interesting. Idea. I, I posted that on my Facebook. Perhaps you okay. saw it there. I didn't. Uh, a couple on February twenty fifth. My aunt sent it to me this uh, morning. As a matter of fact. Yeah. But. So great minds think alike. Your aunt and me. I said a novel idea to defeat Trump by a landslide. A Democratic unity ticket. Democrats have a great deep bench. Let's use it to win in November. Uh, but some people commented that they were deeply concerned because we also have to win back the Senate. Some Democrats commented on my Facebook that uh, that could we could end up losing a Senate seat or two under that strategy. So we'd have to be uh, t- tactical. We'd have to be a little. Well, careful. I think that would be if you have that unity ticket. It's better than just having just a progressive. You know, all progressives are all moderates. Frankly, I think it's better. And this whole, you know, this is. When it comes to this electability question, I think the you know establishment seems to jump to the conclusion that Bernie is not as electable. You know that's what they said about Trump too. But you know what Trump and Bernie have in common? 
they come across as really authentic. And at the beginning of this process, I said, I, you know, policy aside, I want someone who's going to beat Trump and who that is. I'm going to look for the person who is most authentic because these days that's what people respond to, whether it's political campaign, private sector marketing. Now that I run in a startup, you know, I learned a lot about marketing in the private sector instead of for politicians. And it's all authenticity, real people's bullshit meter. Oh, can you say that one? Yes. Um, is on high, uh, it's just a high alert. You know, adver typical advertising doesn't work on us anymore. We see a million ad messages a day. We're expecting everyone to try to be manipulative and tell us stuff that, you know, is in their best interest, poll tested, focus grouped. So it's authenticity. I think Bernie is as authentic and he that's why he has such passionate supporters and can motivate people. And that's, you know, Trump had the same thing. All the arguments that they were making about Trump and how why he was going to lose the election, uh, they're, be they're being made about Bernie. But Bernie has uh, the ability to get people excited, turn people out, and he seems real. He has been consistent for decades. People, especially lower information and swing voters, people talk about that. How are they going to respond to that socialist label? I don't know, but the Republicans label anything we do socialist anyway. What those lower information voters respond to is they don't know about the policy. They don't know if Medicare for all or public option or status quo, although they don't like the status quo. They do think the change needs to be made. Um you know, when they're looking at these things, they're not digging into the finer yeah. points of the policy. They're looking and saying, who do I believe will make choices with I, my best interests in mind? Yeah, I is can't. Bernie not the guy who comes across the way the most? I, I, I don't know for sure. I'm just saying that jumping to the conclusion that Bernie is least electable. I don't know how people are making that no, argument. And, exactly. I haven't heard it fully articulated yeah. why. Let you me know, say, let me say, I think uh, I agree with you. I, I think that uh, I do not here at the Verge show. We do not say that Bernie is unelectable uh, by any means. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that Trump is afraid of Bernie. I actually think Trump is increasingly afraid of Bernie. Just remember one thing. Bernie has never won an election as a Democrat. He's always been an independent. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's he's that, out of his element that, right now. That, that, may, that may help him. That may help him because it may help him get independent votes. And again, it make him it may make him more authentic and more trustworthy with a lot of people who are disgruntled with the Democratic Party. And the and and the the real hardcore Democrats ain't going anywhere because like you said because like you said we want Trump gone. We will, we will vote for a yellow dog. Yeah, totally or whatever agree with that. That is sitting. Well, there I hope there. so. As long as we don't have a situation like last time where some people were disaffected, and I don't think it was too many. I think most Democrats came together and you know, supported Hillary and turned out. But keep in mind, in Michigan, we uh, Trump won Michigan with fewer votes than George W. Bush got in 04 when he lost Michigan, right? So, and, and there right. was, it I was think not it was, a groundswell. Uh, it was not a groundswell for Trump. It was an under exactly. undervoting by Democrats. And so we well, have to make sure and, the Democrats yeah, are who, enthusiastic. There, there was something, I think it, Trump won Michigan by 11,000, if I got that number right. Yes. I think there was something like, it was 70,000 or 90,000 people didn't vote showed up and voted and left president blank, yep. you know? So yep. I think we will have less of that this time, no matter but, who. But again, the but nominee. again, it's part, part of, of that, we have a really ugly but, broker convention where Bernie has a plurality and they give it to someone else. That's the one scenario where, I don't know, then I worry, do, yes. you know, do some people boycott? Yeah, yeah, you make a lot of good points. It's great to chat, Colin, and get caught up. I apologize. We got a, a call it a day. Thank you so much for taking yeah. time out for the Verge show. Hope things are do, uh, do, going well at done good. Uh, I done good. Yep. The place, a place where progressive shop. And, you know, Kevin, you too can get in on this because, uh, you know, it's the market at work. It's, you know, we need to vote. We need to focus on public policy, but also where, where are we spending all our dollars? We've got hundreds of companies on done good that are fighting climate change with their business practices that are paying living wages. And so it's a vote with your dollar. And How do so people find you? How do people you know, find you at done good? donegood.co come to our website you can find all sorts of companies that have uh, have what you're looking for and you know that you the money you're spending is making the world better colin good to talk to you again yeah great to talk thanks to you so guys. much colin take care all right thanks guys we'll talk to you soon
wonderful Cullen Schwartz, uh, who has made the leap to the private sector from a, a life of politics uh, here in Michigan and in Washington. You know, it's always good to have things in your life that you can count on, like having the peace of mind that comes with health care coverage from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and Blue Care Network. Peace of mind knowing that you can count on access to the best care and that you'll have the technology like Blue Cross's mobile app and Blue Cross online visits with board-certified doctors to make your health care work for you around the clock, anywhere you go. My friends at Blue Cross Blue Shield have been serving the people of Michigan for over 80 years. That's over 80 years of community involvement, making Michigan a healthier place for all of us. And over 80 years of expertise, working with doctors and hospitals to improve care, making it work better for patients. Access to care everywhere. The latest technology to make healthcare work for you. And over 80 years of experience and strength to stand behind you. These are things that we all can count on from Blue Cross. To learn more, visit mibluesperspectives.com. What's up? It's Jimmy King, and you are watching NRM Streamcast. Is it possible that every person in Michigan, in every zip code, can have access to the most preferred health insurance? Can a company that is always bringing leading-edge ideas Alexa, open my blue. also bring the good old-fashioned roll-up-your-sleeves work we need to lift up our communities? Are we able to take 80 years of knowledge and experience and apply it every day to help everyone in Michigan? Count on it. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. Mario uh, fue pintor más de 30 años. Cuando Mario me dijo que tenía problemas en el trabajo, que se le estaban olvidando las cosas, fue difícil. Yo le di a la gente que le diga a su familia lo que está pasando con él. Y quiero que me apoyen, que me entiendan y que me quieran. Hey there, we're uh, Joe and Sarah. Joe and Sarah from Pop That Culture. Yes, mm -hmm. and you can catch our show on Wednesdays mm -hmm. at noon where yep. we talk about the latest in TV mm -hmm. and movies mm -hmm. and fashion yeah. and food. Uh, Florida's fun too every now and then. Yeah, Florida and Ohio are always good for mm -hmm. weird news stories, so we'll get to that too. And his yeah. fun game is strong. So Wednesdays at noon, catch us. And we're back with The Verge Show. Uh, boy, it uh, got a little hot in here uh, talking about uh, the Democratic presidential. And uh, that's as it should be. We like to mix it up here. Now we're going to talk about a, a, a different sort of aspect of the coronavirus. Uh, we, we have, have talked about the health aspects here before, but I guess today we're talking about the political aspects. And uh, we're joined by uh, a big-time economist that we both go back with, Kevin. Uh, yeah. Pat, Pat, our, our friend Patrick Anderson. I've known Patrick for about 35 years. Patrick, good afternoon. No, he's he's apparently not on yet. Oh. Uh, but he's... Uh, not good afternoon, But Patrick, Patrick. Uh, has been a long time, uh, very well-respected economist uh, in the state of Michigan and, and around the nation. In fact, I ran into him once in Turkey. Uh, we were on an economic development mission. Wow. And uh, it seems like we were... Uh, we, we, we were on a balcony in Istanbul or something. Is that, is that right, Patrick? Uh, that's right. It was a, it was a beautiful balcony. And I, I do think you and I were the only ones up there 
drinking beer and talking about American politics. But, uh... <laughs> Those were the good old, that was before the real crackdown had started with Erdogan, uh, before the attempted coup. We had nothing to do with the coup. Let me just say, full disclaimer, we were not plotting. Don't start any rumors, We weren't plotting Mr. anything. Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm doing okay, uh, Rich. How are you? Good, good. Well, we don't have much time, so I want to get, if I can, I want to get right right into it with you, Patrick. Uh, how is the economy uh, in Michigan and around the country, and what can we expect? I know that's an awfully big question, but you're used to big questions. Uh, what should we be worried about this coronavirus uh, impacting the stock market and the overall global economy? Well, let's start with how the economy was uh, before this week. Okay. Right? The U.S. economy was... I will tell you pretty much as the president had said in the State of the Union, it was very, very good. Unemployment was down, and importantly, it was down not just for, you know, married people with college degrees, but for minorities, for recent graduates, for all the, all the segments of the population that had, had chronic difficulty uh, in, in getting a lower unemployment rate. Our jobs are growing, our income is growing, including wages, despite all the political rhetoric. Actually, wages for uh, workers have been growing. So before this week, the economy was doing not just well, but very well. Now this week, uh, for reasons that are really uh, difficult for me to understand, because we've been warning about this since at least February 4th, when the first Anderson Economic Group uh, alert went out about the coronavirus, it seemed like uh, investors and other people are almost panicking this week. Uh, I've got four Wall Street journals set out on the, on the credenza out there. Everyone headline coronavirus this week. I, you go back a week or so ago, and it's a headline, uh, who's going to do the Super Bowl halftime and stuff like that. So... The coronavirus has definitely exploded onto the front page. It called a, caused a stock market crash, and uh, it, it should not have been a surprise. If you were reading what we were saying, it would not have been a surprise, but it apparently it was for a lot of the business press in the United States. So help me to understand, Patrick, in terms of the economy. Like, you know, as a former mayor, um, we, we have these sometimes we have these debriefs after an incident and I'll have my cabinet together. And obviously we just we, so w- when you talk about it not being a surprise, I'm, I'm dealing with that aspect of it. OK, the surprise, because because, you know, Eisenhower said plans are nothing. Planning is everything. And so, yeah. you know, we would always, of course, try to plan if we had an event coming, if whether it was the Fourth of July, you know, or Common Ground. Uh, or, or a presidential visit, you know, to the city. There would be, we'd get the cabinet together and we would have plans and we would talk about what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes those plans would, everything would work out very well. Sometimes they would go a little bit askew. And then we would have the debrief afterwards, talk about what went right and what went wrong. Um, the economy, of course, there's so many more factors. There's so much dynamism. And, and, and in a global economy, and of course, China being, uh, I wanted to ask you about that aspect. I mean, is it, if this virus, if it was the same virus, but it was centered, you know, in India uh, and mainly emanating from there and the quarantines were, were and we were hearing about it from India and not China or some other more isolated country. Is is the issue because there's so much U.S. production and capital tied up with China? 
Well, the economic issue is is because of that in the trade, but the human issue is not. It wouldn't be any different. And if you read, if you read the article that uh, that was in the Detroit News that I wrote last week, or you read any of our our Anderson Economic reports, we always start off pointing out this is a real human crisis. Uh, and part of what makes me feel uh, really disappointed is it looks like we pretty much didn't take this seriously until the stock market crashed, and now we're in a panic over it. Uh, and, you know, we have presidential news conferences, and we have people uh, screaming about it, and it's on the front page of newspapers. This has been coming for a while, and you've had uh, not just millions, hundreds of millions of people in China who are under essentially quarantine, travel restrictions, etc., not to mention the people who are, who are sick and those that have died. It's a real human crisis. It has obvious effects on the economy wherever it's occurring. And because the United States, in particular, our auto industry is so connected to China, it is affecting us. So is it the fact, uh, Patrick, then, that, for example, the supply chain is being impacted right now as we speak and has the potential to be impacted further? Yes, that's that's the case right now, and we identified that uh, as early as February the fourth, and uh, we we're pretty lonely voices saying this was this was going to affect uh, non-Chinese automakers. People were thinking of it as as just in China. No, it's not just in China. Uh, it it extends across the border, extends into the auto industry, and of course we have a lot of Americans over there in China, and we have a lot of Chinese over here, uh, and most of that's a good thing. Uh, but it also makes us vulnerable to these types of, of illnesses when they break out, and this one is clearly broken out. So, uh, but the president at his news conference, and I understand that n- nobody on this call, on our uh, dialogue here, is a health expert, but uh, the president basically said uh, not to, you know, not to panic, not to overstate the case, wash your hands, don't touch and I thought of him today as I was coming up to the studio, uh, and I, you know, grabbed the railing and then let go of it right away. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he says, you know, exercise caution um, and wash your hands more and so on. Uh, and, uh, you know, this too shall pass. Um, I don't know if the health experts, there's been debate. Pundits have said that, you know, the, the, the folks at the uh, – the health experts in the federal government have said otherwise, that they've said be prepared to be disrupted. Um, but we, but it's hard to know what that means for the average American citizen. It's hard to know when we say be, be prepared. Uh, and if I were mayor today in Lansing, what would I be doing uh, for my – I assume I'd be securing masks that I would have already tried to make sure that I had the top best masks for my emergency personnel. But other than that, what would I be doing? Uh, I think the president's uh, tone last night was uh, was uh, re- reasonable in terms of his specific descriptions about the the disease. You can you can have your own opinion about his uh, characterization of of uh, Nancy Pelosi or Nancy Pelosi's characterization of him was fair, but and he should he sh- he's saying correctly Americans should not panic. He's saying correctly that Americans have the best health experts and the best health care system. He's saying correctly that it's a, it's a, an illness that's not dissimilar to a lot of influenzas. Uh, and he's noting correctly that, by the way, the influenza, influenza kills tens of thousands of people every year. And we've had 
uh, outbreaks of influenza going all the way back through the century that they killed killed more people than wars. Uh, that's not a positive comparison, but it does it does help people understand that the the likelihood of one of those uh, apocalyptic movies being played out is you know essentially zero. But we then, are not talking Patrick, about the end of the world. This is Kevin Collard, Patrick. Then we wake up this morning at seven a.m to a California case that has no ties to China at all, has no ties to anybody at all, having tested positive for the coronavirus. So what are we to do with that news, and wouldn't that be a a panicky sort of uh, situation? At least that's what the news reporters are telling us, that we should now be very concerned. Uh, Being concerned is different from being panicked. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, uh, Verge's referral to uh, Dwight Eisenhower, who lived through uh, and was part of, you know, one of the biggest existential crises for the world and for societies in the history of man, is was worthwhile. I mean, there's a difference between something you should panic over and something you should be concerned about. And if you look at our, our, you can go on our Anderson Economic Group website right now, see the see the uh, the release we had on the 20th, which preceded the stock market crash this week. It told you you should be concerned. It said, here are the things that are going to be impacted. It's going to hurt us uh, here, here, and here. But it doesn't say we're all going to die. Guess what? We're all not going to die. Okay, so... There's my prediction. We're not all going to die. We shouldn't panic. Uh, but there are things that uh, that uh, business can do. So uh, I guess then you're saying that it's going to be a slowdown. Uh, and uh, we, we again, we can't we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how many people. Um, but that is going to uh, because we're we're. Even if it doesn't hit here in a big way health-wise, we are impacted because we have a global supply chain today. Yeah, we are impacted. And I will say, if you're in China, it's a crisis. And part of uh, part of the difficulty we had in, in talking with uh, some of the news media earlier in February is we kept telling them it's a real crisis in China. It's not a crisis here, but it is a real crisis in China. And now it's a crisis in parts of Italy also, uh, in Korea uh, and in other places, but it's not a crisis here yet. And uh, what Kevin was saying earlier, I mean, I'm not surprised there's cases that pop up. Of course there's cases that are going to pop up, and that's part of why the CDC warned us, because they didn't, you know, everybody has known, I guess, people looking at it, I've known, I've expected we'd have cases in the United States for weeks. Um, and I, I'm not surprised that we have a handful Uh and I'm, I won't be surprised if we have a larger handful next week. But the the warnings that we've pointed out is, first of all, it is a human crisis in China and places that are heavily hit. And it is already affecting us economically, although very modestly, and it's going to affect us more in the future, and particularly in the auto industry, where the supply chains are connected to China, and some some companies more than others are are strongly affected, and we've listed those in our Anderson Economic Group analyses. So, so would you call would you call this? I mean, I'm wondering how much you were shocked by the amount, by the jolt 
uh, in the market? Do you, do you think it's an overreaction? And, and again, I'm not, I, I don't really know how you gauge that, um, but it seems like the market is, is quite jittery about this and, and overly so. But who am I to say? Well, I mean, it's, it's a little frustrating for, for us because we pointed this out, again, February 4th. February 10th, we had a listing of the strongly affected automakers, including at least one U.S. automaker. February 20th, we had a longer list. We repeatedly pointed out it was a public health crisis in China and other places with enormous human scale. But it's not till this week the stock market crashes. So, I mean... Yeah, it seems like there was a long, long ignoring of what was going on and then a panic. That's certainly one way to read it, and uh, that appears to be the most obvious one. Our last segment, we talked about Bernie Sanders leading the Democratic Party right now. Yeah, while you while we got you, Patrick, uh, the president at his news conference, uh, we poked fun at him a little bit because— he said, "Yeah, I I must say that was a that was a pretty clever retort. I watched that too, uh, and and the fact is, you do have to some portion of that of that stock market decline is investors sitting there going, oh, guess what? It is an election year, and oh, guess what? We still have two major parties, and guess what? Uh, either one of them could win. Uh, so, I mean, some part of that. Uh, how much of it? I." You know, I'm guessing a small fraction, but nonetheless, some part of that market, uh, some part of that market decline might have been uh, related to that. So we have about one minute left. As you look at the Democratic field, uh, who uh, would Patrick Anderson like to see? Uh, who who could you live with? I don't mean who do you think Trump could defeat. I'm asking you, who do you think uh, Bloomberg uh, or Trump? Really, right? <laughs> uh, Guys, I think it would take a lot longer for uh, than a minute for me to figure out which of the uh, <laughs> which of the Democratic okay. candidates. All right. Well, uh, next time we have you, be, get your political prognosticator sharpened up, and uh, next time we'll have more time, and we'll we'll talk about the economics of the. Because when we get it down to, well, when we get it down to the two candidates, then we'll have you on to talk about the economics of both candidates. Because I'm still waiting for the infrastructure bill that Trump promised when I was mayor. Pence came to the mayor's <laughs> conference and he said the infrastructure is coming. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I will say I'm glad that Americans are getting a choice. Uh, and, yep. uh, boy, the last two elections, we've certain had a, certainly had a wider range of choices than any time in my adult life. So well, thank you. Uh, Americans thank you. are getting choices. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. All the best. And, you know, right. wear the mask if you're traveling. Right, thanks, thanks, my friend. Uh, this has been The Verge Show. Very, uh, we've covered a wide variety of... Uh, things and we appreciate you joining us i remind you to be kind to those you love and even try being kind to a stranger uh, you'll be better off and so will they but you'll probably be a little bit better off still ahead of them and we'll see you next week on the verge is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it count on it Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's healthcare coverage that works the way you want it to. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card.